everyone, welcome to Third Spacing, the podcast, where we explore important issues on the peripheries of clinical medicine in Singapore. I'm your host, Manisha. Today we have with us Dr. Shravan Verma, who is the founder of SpeedDoc, an advanced medical home care service here in Singapore. We will start by exploring the term clinical innovator and Dr. Shravan's journey becoming one himself. Dr. Shravan has an interesting background as both an engineer and a doctor. We ask about the reconciliation of these professions in his pursuit for a change in medicine. Finally, we explore the initial motivations for the founding of SpeedDoc and the initial challenges of setting up the business. So Dr. Shravan, I understand that you are known to be a clinician innovator. Could you tell our audience a little bit about what being a clinician innovator means? Clinician innovators is a term which is used quite frequently recently. And it's essentially to tag doctors who are doing something beyond their clinical abilities to either improve healthcare in terms of research or implementations or any new changes that they foresee could help in improvements for patient care. So it's interesting because many of us who take step into healthcare think about becoming a allied health professional or a doctor. Did becoming a clinician innovator occur as an early thought for you or was this something that you thought about after you got into medical school? So I did have the experience and sort of was fortunate to do biomedical engineering prior to medical school. So it did teach me a bit of the problem-solving capabilities. So whenever I went through medical school, through different rotations or in the hospital, I did always try to keep a bit of an open mind and seeing how things could be improved. The more I realized you do it, the better you sort of get at being able to solve these problems. And that is what I would really define clinician innovators to be, is really the capability and knack to zoom out from your day-to-day clinical practice and see a much larger picture of how healthcare is conducted for patients. When you do that, you start connecting a lot more dots and seeing how would be the best way to fill it. Really, that's what I would use to differentiate clinicians from clinicians' innovators. So Dr. Shravan, you mentioned your pursuit of biomedical engineering before coming into medicine. When you were pursuing this degree, did you already have an idea about how you would like to change healthcare or was this something that only came about after you started working? So I was actually always interested in research towards healthcare and that's actually what led me towards doing biomedical engineering. My final year project was on heart modeling and the wave propagation for atrial fibrillation. It's a lot of signals modeling, electrical engineering and signal processing that needed to be done. So it was actually while working on that that you realize along with other projects that we're only solving a very, very small part of a larger problem. And we're not even touching the larger problem. And until I realized we know how doctors think, how doctors manage patients, you don't understand the impact of what you're working on. 
So I realized to really know what we're doing and what role we can play and how we can do better research, it's so important to have those clinical knowledge and skills. So it was about in my third year of college, of undergraduate, that I decided that I would want to pursue medicine. Even after that, I had always planned of practicing for a while and then going back into research or innovation or something like that. Do you have any personal encounters that shaped your perspective of healthcare or what you eventually wanted to do? Definitely, and it was actually while working in the healthcare system that you realize a lot of these gaps. For example, when we practice, we would discharge so many patients to come back to polyclinic in a week for a repeat blood test or renal panel or something to check if potassium is normalized and adjust any medications that are required. When you're working on the ground and just ordering it, you don't think of how inconvenient it is for the patient to be able to constantly come back, especially when you start thinking of older demographics who have to get a caregiver with them to be able to go to a clinic or a hospital. So it's all these things that start piling up in your head and you really start thinking, is there a better way to be able to address it? Similarly, like if you ever work in the A&E, you'll see waiting times easily going from three hours to five hours for patients, depending on the triage category, of course. And again, you're like, is there not a better way to be able to address this? So I would say all these factors led into thinking what would be the best solutions. And that's how we came up with the whole model of being able to provide home visiting doctors. But of course, I would say when you start a project, something like that, you realize the importance of making it evolve over time. So while we may have started with just the home visiting doctors, slowly we've added so many bits and pieces to it, whether it's like home nurses, telemedicine, medication delivery, it starts becoming a stronger and much more favorable care for patients when they get all these things delivered to them at home now to the point where almost all of hospital care can be brought to patients' homes. So even things where people required three, four days of IV antibiotics, all of this can be done at home in the convenience and care with all their family members around them. So really, this I would say is a start and a lot more that can be added on in time to come. So from your exposure to our healthcare system and your exposure to medicine in general, What are some of the biggest takeaways that you've had in the years so far? One of the takeaways that I had and which kind of even spurred the whole birth of SpeedDoc was a gap in the community-based medical care. So people could get medical care when they could go to a clinic, people could get medical care when they go to a hospital, but that's about it. We actually thought of this term, what about the third space where we can offer medical care? So not clinic, not hospital, but everywhere else. And that's the whole premise of creating this distributed healthcare. They can have access to whether it's healthcare or medical care, wherever they are. So it's interesting that you mentioned that both the pursuit of biomedical engineering and medicine showed you that there are gaps that need to be addressed. And it's great that you took a big step to make this change. But how do you find the balance between an engineer and a physician? If you ask me, so the biggest thing that engineering taught me was applications and problem solving. 
And that's the biggest skill set you get. Yes, you apply it in many different projects, but you get into this habit of creating things and making it work somehow or the other. And I've tried to keep that even while going into medicine. So I would say I've been a bit lucky to be able to have that experience. So whenever I see or go through any process, I'm always a bit questioning, critiquing, can this be done better? Why are we still doing things this way? And I would suggest that we should use it as a fuel to really make us take that step to fix it. Because that's the only way things will improve. It's like if people constantly go through their process, reviewing and critiquing things and then implementing changes, will our world get better? So if I were to say then that actually engineers save more lives than doctors, what would be your thought on this statement? Or would you say that your journey itself says testament to this statement? So engineers are excellent at building and creating new devices or solutions which improve people's lives around them. And that's their clear value add. Doctors are the ones treating and managing patients and have best understanding of the human body and, and physiology. So that's where they use their part to make sure the society is healthy. I wouldn't say like engineers save more lives. Everybody plays their own part in society. Not to mention the fact that doctors have a huge humanistic approach as well when they're treating patients, which needs to be emphasized and valued. It's really through patient-doctor interaction that they're best able to learn the most about patients so that they can manage and tailor their treatments for the patient. So then that brings me back to the story of Speed Doc and your step into entrepreneurship and how you started this whole startup. I do have to ask you because entrepreneurship actually involves a lot of trial and error, involves a lot of building from ground up. There's no theories, there's no principles. We just have to come up with an idea and find a team and ensure that everyone shares the same goals and build from the ground up. This is sort of different from medicine in which we're given guidelines and checklists and we learn from theory and we stick to them. So how do you then switch gears between being of a physician mindset and sticking to the current rules and principles versus being an entrepreneur with coming up with different ideas and not being afraid to take risks? Very, very interesting question. So one of the biggest challenges for us and as we even implement these newer models of care has been how do you balance coming up with newer innovative ways and pushing the boundaries for medicine and at the same time being very safe for patients because that's something that really, really cannot be uh, ignored. So safety always has to be at the top of our list. Entrepreneurship, you mentioned, uh, you need to surround yourself with a very, very good, solid team to be able to bounce off these ideas. You need to be able to have people who can advocate for safety. You need to be able to have people who can advocate for the patient experience and yet people who want to change things and create new things and build better things. And that's what we've really been fortunate to have here at SpeedDoc at least, is this right mix and group of people. And there's plenty of arguments, but that's the fun part of it. That's how I would say best ideas come out when 
some people are passionate about something and they can defend it and then you have differing points of view but in the end we make a decision which can suit most of the views so um it is sometimes a bit challenging and at least in the early days i was doing both clinical medicine practicing being one of the speed dog doctors and at the same time building out the infrastructure for the company i would say that's where i could be able to relate to both sides the most but now it's just about having the right group of people to come up with these discussions and move forward So in that same tangent then I would like you to share with us the story of Speed Dog. How did this idea come about? Not going to lie, first few months and years were brutal. There's just um so much unknown, so much risk in what we were doing that does constantly make you question your decisions and whether to move forward or not. But I would say at some point you are a bit convicted enough to be able to try and make that change which is what keeps pushing you. So for me it just happened while I was still working in the hospitals that I was starting to see these gaps like people waiting in the A&E for hours or people having issues following up or so many no shows when they would come to a, a polyclinic or a public hospital clinic. So looking at all that is when you see okay you know what if there is no solution it's worth a try even if you're going to fail that's what i think we started with and decided to set this up that what's the worst possible outcome which is all right it doesn't work project fails move on to the next so when you start thinking of it that way you know there's no harm in trying so that's what got us started and set up speedoc and ever since we set it up we were fortunate enough to be able to get one of the enterprise singapore startup sg grants as well which helped us come up with the initial prototype and minimum viable product then once we got that set up we got a few industry partners corporate partners and some early investors as they rightfully we were lucky to have some of those invest in our idea and concept Ever since there we focused very very heavily on having a very good patient experience. We always made sure that you know there were proper follow-ups, there were even phone call follow-ups after a visit. So people also felt well looked after. And when you do that, when you put your focus on patients and users, that's almost winning half the battle. when they feel like they've had a pleasant experience they will recommend your service to everyone they know so that's i would say a big part of how we grew from there to somewhere where we are now so that's great to hear that you've come up from building an idea and now you have a team and you actually have the startup running but i actually am more interested to know about what were some of the sacrifices that you have to make in the beginning to get this idea rolling Whenever you're starting a new concept, I'd say everybody should be prepared to hear the word no. And that's something we can't run away from. In the early days, we had a very difficult time onboarding doctors. The initial doctor was me for most of the time, doing a lot of these visits and being on the ground and still being able to try and get the company running. So I remember even at business meetings or or some partnership meetings we would get patient calls and i would have to drop everything and go see the patient 
This really actually left almost no time to rest. So you have to completely let go of that part of your life, your social life. So that required a big sacrifice in those early stages, not to mention that you don't have any fixed income because everything that you're trying to earn is going in running the company, especially those early stages. So it's most likely not going to be profitable and you can't, when it's not profitable, you can't afford to pay yourself a salary. I would say it's tough. That's why in those earlier stages where you're not able to pay yourself, you're working almost 24-7, it really tests your grit and determination for what you're building as well. But once you build it and get those early bumps out of the way, I think it becomes a lot more rewarding and exciting as we move forward. So then how did you sell the idea of Speed Talk? to those who were ready to invest in Speed Talk and in your business, how did you go about persuading them that this idea is something that will work in a Singaporean context? So it's really funny, you know, some of our early investors were our users. And the, the way that they saw the gap was because they needed a solution which we were able to help address. It includes anything like their child having fever in the middle of the night or them needing some test for which they would have otherwise gone to a hospital. And when they realize that there's a solution where we can do everything at the comfort and convenience of their own homes, they see the value. Of course, then this piques the interest in the company and then you have to strategize and map out how you're really going to make it grow and how will it be scalable. So these are some other questions that investors need to think. But as far as the initial need, I would say we were lucky for most of them to be able to see that gap and need. So you talked about your earliest investors being your users themselves. So I want to know about the kind of demographic that Speed Talk actually caters to. Is there a specific demographic or is it more diverse? I would say now our demographics are really, really diverse. We see all the way from three months old to 101 years old. But early stages, yes, we did put more focus on the elderly bedbound because there the reason to switch and uptake is very high. And there are very limited options for them as is. And those options were usually very, very costly for them. So when they saw this as a much more affordable option and yet being able to solve a lot of their problems, that was an easy switch for them to be able to consider using our services. But like I said, we always put priority on the patient experience. And when they themselves had a good experience with their mother, father, they would use it for themselves as well, or even their child or their neighbor or their cousin. And that's where I would say we started seeing the other demographics as well. A big part of our demographics is female because they use us for their spouses, they use us for their children, they use us for their parents. So really, I would say now we, we see a very wide variety of users. So you talked about affordability when it comes to using SpeedDoc. Is it more affordable to use an application like SpeedDoc versus going to your local GP or a polyclinic? Affordability and pricing is something we pondered a lot about when we were starting up. And it's really a balance of what would people be comfortable being able to pay for such a new service 
versus how do we compensate the doctors because doctors are highly paid professionals. That was our considerations and that's why it really helped to go down into first principles thinking. We were looking at, okay, doctors at that point were doing home visits for something like 300 or $400. And then you look at it, why? So if I'm a doctor who owns a clinic, I have to cover for my overheads. I do my opportunity cost as to the number of patients I would otherwise see in a clinic. Then you come out, okay, one hour for me out of the clinic would be somewhere around that amount. So looking at that, if you just go back and think, okay, what if we could let go of those overheads and not have those big gaps of transportation and transit time? Can we bring the costs down further with both doctors being happy as well as patients being happy? So that geared our thinking towards getting our pricing to where it is. So I think we've hit a sweet spot of where it's not too overpriced for majority of the Singaporean demographics. And yet doctors are happy with what they can be compensated for their time. As compared to clinic, I think we don't try and compete with that for our home visiting. But for the clinic part, we uh, offer our telemedicine. So people do have the option of doing a video call for the same amount as they would if they had to go to a clinic. But of course, with a video call, everything is very convenient and gets delivered to them at home. For our home visiting, we priced it more around how much it would cost you to go to an emergency or an urgent care center. That's where people see, so for the same amount, I could go to a hospital and wait 3-4 hours, or I can have everything done conveniently for me at home, including blood tests, including medication, including if any procedures are done. So that's been our thinking and how we created our pricing. Da-dum, da-dum, da-dum.